we're starting a new series. We started this morning with Tony talking about desire in the beginning. Now, this is one you must not miss. Please go and listen to this one. It's one of the best I've heard for a long time, okay? So go and listen. The series is about desire. Let me just say this. Desire is a gift from God. And my water's leaking. Desire is a gift from God. You've got it. I've got it. God has it. There's nothing wrong with desire. Nothing at all. Desires are a gift from God. But, but, but. There's always a but when someone gets up here, isn't there? Desires can get us into trouble. I had a nephew. He used to say to his mother, if you give me this, if you give me this, I won't ask you for anything more. Ever, 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 ever. I won't ask you. I just want it. I just want it. And invariably, if he got it, the next story was, I need it, I need it, I need it. If you give it to me, I won't ever ask you again. The sense of desire and the need and not really knowing what the desire is. I hope by the end of tonight you'll be able to name God's desire and your desire and the stuff that gets you into trouble. Is that okay? That's where we're going. Uh, this morning we started with Adam and Eve. Eve's desire got her into trouble. She saw an apple or a, tr a fruit. It doesn't say an apple. She saw the fruit, looked good, she took it, she ate, she gave. The steps of desire, seeing, thinking, taking. So it started with Eve desiring to be God and to redefine the good life on her terms, what it meant to be on this earth in her own terms. Consequently, she and Adam and everyone since lost the God capacity to live the good life as desired by God. We lost it. And the good life, a life of harmony, a life of wellness, a life of abundance, a life of laughter and joy, a life of desires being filled. Isn't that great? God's desires and our desires are not necessarily always in conflict. Sometimes they are because we get it all wrong. We think we need something and we don't possibly do, but it's not necessarily in conflict. I'm picking up the story tonight with Noah. So time passed. I have no idea how long. Some people can tell you to the year, but I can't. But time passed. And during that time, the story of humanity continued. Cities were built, musical instruments were made. Way back then, sin happened, murders, lying, cheating, gardens were grown, and life happened. One or two, a few walked with God, but most did not walk with God. And through chapters four to six of Genesis, there's a common little phrase at the end of everyone's story. And he died. That's how they finished. And he died. Have a look. It's there. Except for one person. Anyone know that one person? Enoch. 
And what does it say about Enoch? Enoch was not. He walked with God. See the difference? God's desire for Enoch. Enoch got it. Dying was never part of God's desire for us. But another thing was happening. All this time, people were moving further and further and further away from God into wickedness, deceit, selfishness. And we come to this verse from Genesis 6 and 5, not long into the story of the Bible. The Lord saw that wickedness of humans was great in the earth and at every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Not only was their behavior bad, but it started from inside, the inside behavior. The living the good life was not happening. They were living out of their own selfish desires at the expense of others and others were doing exactly the same. Me, 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 remember my way, my way, me. And we read this, which is a strange passage. The Lord was sorry. The Lord was sorry that he made humans on the earth. And it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the humans I have created, people together with the animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Welcome to a God who is sorry and grieves. God's desire for humanity didn't happen, and now their choices have resulted in God's sorrow and sadness. Here is a grieving God who must act. I know that we're using human language here to talk about God. God was sad. God grieved. Hey, God has emotions. So do you, so do I. Here is deep-seated grief where God must act to stop the wickedness and the destruction and what would happen if it continued. Here is our God who understands grief and sadness. So be encouraged when you're grieving, when you feel sad. God knows what that feels like. Isn't that good? We think it's all about love and joy and peace, but our God has the full spectrum of emotions and he does not sin. Hear this well. God is grieving because of the wickedness of humans and God must act, must do something about what he has done. I don't know if you remember what God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Paul wrote it this way. Paul actually said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, or as God said, you shall surely die. The result of living a life that does not please God that is not living the good life as defined by the good God leads to death and destruction. So hear this well, God loves deeply, very, very deeply. 
And it's not as if God has now switched off love. God cannot stop loving ever. He's always love. But in that, he still has emotions. And the emotions grieve him, saddened by them. And we must bear the consequences of our sins. So this brings us to the story of Noah. Have you ever wondered why Noah's story is in the Bible? Most people have argued about whether it was a local flood, a big flood, how he got the animals in. I still don't know how he got the animals in. Were there unicorns? Did the uh, the dinosaurs there? By the way, unicorns are mentioned in the Bible. See who can find it. Uh, So there's lots of money being spent on trying to find the ark. There's lots of uh, questions and scientists telling us how they got the animals in. We're not going there. That's a story for another day. God is in this story, and I want us to find out why the story is there, not what happened, who was there, and when. It's why. It's always a good question when you read the Bible to think, why is this story in the Bible? Because I guarantee you'll always find a way. Let's read what the scripture says. Noah found favor, favor in the eyes of God. The descendants of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He was a man who walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh flesh had corrupted its way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. I'm not sure if you could obey that one. (laughs) Make yourself an ark. And so the story of Noah and the ark is there for us. I'm going to jump to the end of the story because I want us to understand tonight why this story is in the Bible. What is earth, what on earth is God doing? What does a grieving, sad God do when there's corruption and violence, when there's wickedness and every inclination of the heart is sinful? What does God do? So we jump to the end of the story and we come to Noah and his family and try to see what God's doing. Finally, the earth's dry after a long period of time. It only rained for 40 days, but it took a long time for the water to go down. So, okay, they finally come out, and the, one of the first things they do is build an altar to the Lord and offer a sacrifice. And from every clean bird offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humans. For the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Never again will I destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time 
and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The promise of God. God promises not to destroy the earth and the creatures this way ever again by water. When I flip a long way over in my Bible, I come to a little book written by a man called Peter. And Peter says, there is a day when there will be destruction, but this time by fire. So 2 Peter 3 in verses 6 and 7 says, they, that's our generation, they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, he brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So we've got the promise here that God won't destroy the earth because of human sin in the same way that he did it before. But God is storing up judgment. Remember, the wages of sin or the end result or what you get for sinning is death and destruction. Back to Noah's story. Reading from Genesis 9, just a few verses to bring us to why this story is here. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 6, Whoever sheds the blood of a human, by a human shall that person's blood be shed, for in his image God made humans. And you, be fruitful and multiply, abound on the earth and have dominion over it. God said to Noah and his sons with him, as for me, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you. This is the sign of the covenant that I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the heavens. Just a sideline here. God gave us the rainbow. Okay? It's a gift from God. Don't let anyone take it away from you. We are people who know that the rainbow is a promise. So don't be afraid of reclaiming the rainbow. That's just by the side. That's another story, isn't it? Uh, that's the sign of the covenant. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I don't know if you noticed as I read that, this is the language of creation. This is the language of recreation. This is another chance for humanity to get it right, to live well with a good, lot, good God, to live that life where desire is fulfilled in the desires of God. The good God graced a family and Salvation came through Noah, and here we have a new beginning. Here you are, go and replenish the earth. This is the language of the image of God, where it says, whoever sheds the blood of a human, they shall be also have their blood shed because 
we are made in the image of God. This is creation language. This is the language of blessing and commandment. Go, multiply, fill the earth. Have dominion over it. You heard those words before? In Genesis. This is the language of promise. A sign that floods will not wipe out everything ever again. The sons of Noah who went out from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was peopled. This is the story of recreation. God giving humanity another chance to live the blessed life, the good life, a life in harmony with God, to walk with God. So it's a new start, a new creation. How will the humans live? Can they live it? Can they walk in obedience? Can they walk with God so that their own desires don't get in the way ever again? Let's find out. Reading from scriptures again from chapter 9 of Genesis. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk. And he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done, he said, cursed be Cain. Lowest of slaves shall be his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, my God of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and I think I'm old. Sorry, and he died, <laughs> and he died. This is the story of humanity not being any different after the recreation. This is introducing us to the people of Canaan. Do you know where this comes up again? In the story of Moses, in the story of Joshua, in the story of David, in the story of Solomon, in the story of the kings, in the story of the prophets. The Canaanites were exceedingly wicked. And God had told Abraham, this story happens a long, long time after, that God needed to judge the Canaanites. But God told Abraham, they've still got 400 years because I'm hoping they will repent. And finally, Joshua comes in to take over the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites were the thorn in the flesh, it was like the devil, like everything that could go wrong was the sin of the Canaanites for the Israelite people. 
And we still have some of that sin today, but that we'll get onto that later. So it introduces us, first of all, to the Canaanites, who play a key role in the life of God's people. So you got that? So that's one of the reasons why the story is here. It's a story about the recreation. That's a major reason, the main reason, where God says, can humanity live well with God's desire? Can they do it? Can they live the good life? And we find they couldn't. Well, you might ask, um, what's happening here? Because there's lots of things that are not said, and it's just like the Bible to not say things. It doesn't satisfy our curiosity, and it doesn't always give us the right answers. Have you discovered that? And so over the years, people make up the answers. And we've got to sometimes undo answers that we've heard and then try and find out. This is one thing I've learned. If I look at the consequence of what's happened, I can usually determine that what happened was significant. Does that make sense? So the consequence here is what I need to look at to find out what Ham did that was so bad. So Noel settles down with his family and eventually he farms, he has his figs and he has his uh, vineyard and uh, beautiful grapes and wine. Foolishly, I don't know whether it was the first time he made wine from them or not. Now, this is obviously a long time after. I don't know, but it takes a fair while to grow a vineyard and to get the grapes. Is that right? So I don't know. It wasn't just an overnight thing. I don't know how long they enjoyed the land. He did a foolish thing. He got drunk. The desire to taste the wine was not necessarily wrong, okay? He's not condemned for sinning. I want you to hear that. Noah is not condemned for sinning. Noah's issue was that the desire led him to foolish behavior. He got drunk. It was foolish. And that was an opportunity for others to bear the consequences of his foolishness. I don't find anywhere in scripture where it says this was, Noah was condemned here, but he saw it and his desire led him to foolishness. And that's one of the things with our desires. I don't know what your desires are. I don't know what you desire most in life. But when a desire is not placed carefully in the hands of God, it can lead us to foolish decisions, and we must bear the consequences of those and come back to God and say, God, I made a foolish decision, and this decision led to sinful behaviors. Well, here we have a very foolish thing to do. He lost control of his actions. He goes into his tent, he's stone drunk and naked, and he lies down. And uh, Ham goes in and looks at his father. Now that may seem harmless. The thing is, we don't know what Ham did or saw. You got that? We don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us. But the consequences of that action show us that whatever Ham did 
violated his father and the honour of his father and he sinned. That's all I know. He brought shame onto the family. He didn't honour his parents. If you read some of the commentaries, they'll have some extreme sins right through just to a cultural act of shame. I have no idea. But I do know that God treated that sin seriously. And as a consequence, he is cursed. Not forever. I'll talk about that in a minute. But what we see again is the consequences of sin bring that dark thread of sin and evil into our lives again. The second creation, the recreation, with all of its language of the first, did not solve the human problem of sin and desire and evil. And so the dark thread goes. Interesting that the curse is on Canaan and not the father, so it just goes on and on. When I say that the curse was not eternal, I want you to know that Jesus took every curse of this world on himself. He became cursed for our sake. It says in the scriptures, quoting from the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus. He was cursed and became our curse when he died on a cross. That is what Jesus has done. And so we find redemption and hope and salvation in Jesus. So if you think that you've been cursed or something has gone wrong, there is always hope because we live the side of Jesus. So what can I learn? God has desires, first of all. God's desire is for you, for us, for creation. That's God's desire. We are the work of his hands. And if God made us, if God made us, who knows us best? The maker. God knows you inside out. God knows your thinking. Psalm 139 says, before I think it, he knows it. I used to be creeped out when I read Psalm 139. I did not like Psalm 139 for a long time. It was like, I didn't know what was happening inside. I didn't know. But before I spoke it, it was out. And it seemed creepy for me. I didn't see the wonder of it until I learned that God loved me, desired me, and wanted the best for me. What a relief. So I don't know how you read Psalm 139 when he says he knows everything, everything about me. When I sit up, when I stand, wherever I go, it was freaking me out. That was one of my issues. And I read it now and I think, Mm, brings back all those memories and then the glory of the wonder of being known by God. God knows me from the inside out. His desire for us is joy, enjoyment, laughter. Where is all the laughter? On Tuesday night, uh, nine of us got together at a reunion from a trip that we went to China. 
and we got together and we celebrated. We laughed, we had a great time remembering, getting lost, having no one to meet us, not knowing what we were eating, where we were going, the uncertainties, the whole lot of the stories, and we talked and we laughed and we remembered. But one of the things that happened in that story (laughs) was that as we sat and talked, one of them remembered what one of the missionaries said. We were on a bus, okay? And we were all together and we were laughing and sharing and every single person on that bus was looking at us. And the uh, Christian there who could speak the language and knew it, he said to us, they are captivated and amazed by your laughter and your joy. Isn't that wonderful? That's what we're made for, a life of joy, a life of living to the fullness, a life of knowing God's desire for us, the good life, the good life. And it can only happen when the Spirit of the living God comes inside me, making real the work of Jesus in me, when I know that the wages of sin is death. But listen, the gift of God is eternal. Adam and Eve, this is supposed to represent a tree of life. They desired the wrong thing. They desired to be like God. But the gift of God gives us access again to the tree of life, who is Jesus. Who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have eternal life. And it's not a grumpy, old, fuddy-duddy life. It's a good life. It's a joyful life. It's fun. It's sad. It's grief. It's disappointment but it's joy. You got it? It's love. It's acceptance. It's regret. It's forgiveness. But it's joy in knowing that we belong. So I invite you to take this gift of life because there is still another recreation. Look at this verse. It's a lovely verse from Paul where he wrote this. Not that one, the other one where he wrote and said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are a new creation. And you've got the opportunity to live that good life because God has recreated you and all the old is gone and behold, there's new. And you can live in this newness of life as you walk with God, as you enjoy the desires that he has for you. But just in finishing, I want to look at this final verse from from Jesus' story. When Jesus, just before his death, is looking out over the city of Jerusalem. And this is what he writes. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, door of hope, Launceston, Tasmania. The city that scorns or kills the good, the prophets stones those who are sent through their sarcasm, through their rejection of Jesus, who destroy the ones who are sent. How often have I desired to gather you up as children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. My prayer is that we would come to this one who desires us so much because this one is the one who knows us 
well. Let me pray. Lord, may there be a response in my heart and in the heart of every single one of us here to live out the desires of God, to respond to you, to see the grief even to this day over the lost and the ones who will not come to you. Thank you, Lord, for each one who's come, come home to you, come back into the presence of God to walk with you and to know you and to enjoy you. And my prayer tonight is for those who feel that they are outside of this circle of God where they can be embraced by love, embraced by change, embraced by hope and love. My prayer is that we would be willing to respond to your desire. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.